0: I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who up next to you. When I go out, yeah, I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who goes along with you. If I get done- Oklahoma football still looking for that elusive win number six. Basketball, surprisingly, is looking for win number one after being upset by Sam Houston State. And hey, raise your hand if you can figure out what's happening right now on the recruiting trail because I'm not alone in this. I have no idea, no idea what's happening because rumors are going nuts. So in this, what's up, everybody? Center Nation Podcast, Matt Hofeld along with you. Um, back, back in town. Um, is this where I get to play the Slim Shady? Look, look who's back? No, sorry, I won't, I won't, I won't do that to you. I'm sorry. Um, let's start with basketball. Oklahoma falls to Sam Houston state by two points in the season opener. And again, that really kind of shocked everybody. And if they tell you it didn't, then they're lying to you. No one really saw that coming. Uh, Oklahoma falls 52 51 Sam Houston state uh, on a last second three point shot. Look, I think there's, uh, again, first of all, it's game one. Okay. And so, this isn't like football where you drop game one and basically the season's, are, you know, a wash. All, all of your hopes and aspirations are gone. It's not that way with basketball, but it definitely is an alarming, you know, those bells are going off. And you got to look at some issues that you can hopefully try to correct. And sometimes you can and sometimes you can't. That's why this game coming up on Friday night uh, against, who, who are they playing, Arkansas Pine Bluff? Uh, again, a, a game you should win, but you never know, particularly if they can't fix the issues. So here, here's just a quick nutshell recap. Oklahoma holds Sam Houston State to 19 points in the first half. 19 points. But then the Bearcats go off for 33 points in the second half, while Oklahoma went from 26 first-half points to 25 first half point, second second-half points. And there you have it right there. Two issues here. The first issue is shooting. The second issue is bench play. And you think that both of those have a chance to get better. You think, but you don't know. This, this, Oklahoma shot 37.2% from the floor. 263 from three-point range. But the, the big atrocity here when it comes to shooting was you, you've got two starters. Now, this is a team that had NCAA tournament aspirations. Still does. Nothing's off the table at this point. But they wanted to compete for the top half of the Big 12. They wanted to make a run at the NCAA tournament after getting bounced in the NIT last year to close out the season. And you got two starters who played a combined 50 minutes that went 0 for 12 from the floor, 0 for 6 three-point range, one for two from the free throw line. So if you're trying to do the math really fast in your head, that's one point off of 50 minutes of playing time. Five zero, 50 minutes of playing time, one point between two starters. But they're able to overcome that. You, you can overcome poor shooting with defense. And if you're looking for something, so, somewhere along the way where this team excelled, and a season-opening loss to Sam Houston State on their home court. I, I think you look at the defensive angle here. Because they held Sam Houston to 32.8% from the floor, which is an action. I mean, that's worse than what they shot. They had a rebounding advantage, 40-37. to 37. They forced 12 turnovers. They blocked five shots. They came up with four steals. So you you can overcome a bad shooting night. If you're playing really good defense. But what you can't overcome is a lack of production from your bench. And the deeper you go into the game, the more important, the more valuable that bench becomes. And as Oklahoma went into that, you you get into the 30 minute mark of the game, the 35 minute mark of the game. And you just saw this team fold because they ran out of gas. You got, Oklahoma's bench was outscored. They were doubled up by Arkansas Pine, Arkansas Pine Bluff. Who are they playing? Sam Houston. They were doubled up by Sam Houston. 28-14. to 14. You got five players on the bench. Five guys who came into this game. That means Porter Mosier went 10 deep altogether in this game. Five starters, five bench players. And you got five players who combine for uh, fourteen points. And again, you're you're throwing guys out there like Bijan Cortez, zero points. You got O.A. with one point. Excuse me, two points. Godwin with two points. I it, it just that that's the biggest concern for me. Not that they had a bad shooting night. Everybody has a bad shooting night. But that they're, this is the beginning of the second year of Porter Mosier. And your Achilles heel in year one was you just didn't have depth. And now it looks like your Achilles heel in year two is you still don't have depth. And maybe you can attribute all that, all of that to bad, to a bad shooting night on a, on a night... Oklahoma, as a team, Oklahoma attempted 43 shots from the floor. 16 of the 43 went in. 19 three-point shots, five went in. I mean, they, even, they missed six free throws. So you're looking you're looking how you can pinpoint the cause of a, a one-point loss. You can, you can pick your poison here. Be, because it's it's there and you got two starters with one point you got a poor shooting performance you got a bench that that just underperformed Th- this basketball program is definitely taking a step backwards to start year two under porter Mosier. and this is by no no stretch no no sense no desire to be an indictment against porter Mosier. it's just it's the year of the transfer portal it's the it's the era of college basketball, college football, college baseball, college softball, free agency. Some people eat off of that. Even Patty Gasso is tearing it up when it comes to college sports, college athletics, free agency. Porter Moser's in year number two. Brent Venable's is in year number one. They're still trying to figure it out as it pertains to their programs. But if you're if you're going to spotlight year two to year one from year two against year one of the Porter of Mosier area, it's not off to a great start. So you got Arkansas Pine Bluff on Friday night, and it's a game that you absolutely, absolutely have to win if you're the Sooners. So there's that. Now recruiting is recruiting is just insane right now. There is a football game, by the way. There's a football game in Morgantown, West Virginia on Saturday morning. We're going to get to that. But there's so much happening on the recruiting trail right now that we at least got, you know, I've been away for three weeks. So we haven't been able to record. We haven't been able to reach out to you guys. You haven't been able to reach out to us. Part of the job, my, my, my bill paying job takes me away. But, you know, you got Colton Basic who, who ch- flips to Texas. Which is I mean look that's you, you like to have guys in your recruiting class, but by all accounts that looks like a situation where it was a a mutual understanding, shall we say i mean i don't i don't think I don't think Brent Venables and ted roof are 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 banging on the door trying to figure out what happened there it It appears to be hey, look um. We were excited about six weeks ago, four weeks ago, two weeks ago, but now we think we might have some other possibilities and we need you to be okay with that. Or we need you to go somewhere else. And I mean, I think that's what it is. And you wish the kid the best, except for the fact that he went to Texas, but it was either, it was always either going to be Oklahoma or Texas. The big names that people are talking about right now, what's really blowing up the message boards and what's really getting the the rumor mill swirling is Peyton Bowen and and David Hicks. And let me just tell you this, like I said with the basketball loss last week, if anybody tells you they know what's going on with Peyton Bowen and David Hicks, don't believe them. I, I I defend the guys that are behind the paywalls because I know some of those guys and they're good guys. They're great at what they do. They have information that I don't have. They have information that you don't have. If anybody was going to know what these guys are doing, it'd be those paywall guys and they don't know. So just because you read something on Twitter or you saw something on a message board doesn't make it so. So here's the thing. You got Peyton Bowen. He's still committed to Notre Dame. At this point, he's still committed to Notre Dame. He was there for the big win over Clemson. So you got that going for you if you're the Irish. Now, if you're looking at what Oklahoma has going for him, is the fact that everybody really feels like Bowen is in play. And certainly doesn't hurt that his girlfriend just committed to Oklahoma to play soccer. I mean... Look at Billy Bowman just saying that's the standard. I mean, that's not the exception guys that are have high school girlfriends who are athletes. They typically follow the the girls. The girls don't typically follow the guys. And and again, not a knock. I mean, I'm I'm certainly glad that Billy Bowman's at the university of Oklahoma. Equally glad that Jada Coleman's on the softball team. I don't think you have one without the other. But the, the truth is, Bill, Peyton Bowen is in play. And so is David Hicks. I I know Texas A&M fans don't want to hear that. But DJ's in play. I mean, this, this is the kid who's coming to Oklahoma. He'll be on campus for the Bedlam game. He's he's visiting Oregon. Now, he's still committed to Texas A&M. Whatever they offered to pay them, that is still on the table But he's visiting Oklahoma. He'll he'll be on campus November 18th. And the the more this breaks down, here's what it really looks like for David Hicks. That that commitment to Texas A&M was more of an announcement than it was a commitment. It's more so David Hicks is saying, look, guys, I want money. I'm going to play this game. You can do it legally now with the NIL. So pay up. And and I think if anything, now he could end up going to Texas A&M. They could be the highest bidder. But right now, Texas, you think things are bad at Oklahoma in year one of Brent Venables with four losses. They, that The ship was on fire and sinking down in College Station and they can't afford to get rid of Jimbo Fisher at this point. So I, look, everybody, everybody's at play at Texas A&M. And David Hicks may end up going there. But the reality of the situation is David Hicks was just making an announcement to the world. Guys, look, I'm serious. You Go back to that announcement. Dad's getting paid, right? Because dad's smiling. He's all smiles. David Hicks isn't smiling. DJ's not smiling. Mom is not smiling. And so you got a guy who made a commitment to Texas A&M, but is still fully engaged in conversations with Oklahoma's coaching staff, still fully engaged in conversations with Oregon's coaching staff. He's still on the market. He's just announcing that he's wanting to play the game. And so let the games begin. Now there, there are, there's a chance that both of these guys end up at their respective schools that Bowen goes to, to, to South Bend and plays for Notre Dame. DJ Hicks goes to College Station and plays for A and M. That is a chance, but at this point right now, it looks like the best chance, the greater odds, are that either one of those guys are going to be somewhere else, possibly together. And Oklahoma still has a shot for both of them. Now, don't don't believe if don't believe the guys. Let me just help you here, okay? Pump the brakes on those guys that are saying, oh, they're silent commits or just enjoying the process. No, they are not. They're not. I do believe at one point, David Hicks may have been a silent commit to the University of Oklahoma. That ended in September. They're not silent commits. And you, you, here's how you can know. Here, here's a, a. There's There's other ways. There's other information out there. They'll let you know they're not. But here's how you know that they're not. Because they're making visits. Right? And we know Brent Venables. If you're gonna commit to Brent Venables, you're gonna commit to the University of Oklahoma, and that's it. Your recruiting's over. I don't think Brent Venables is gonna play this silent commitment game while the guys that he really wants is out there going to Eugene, Oregon. Going to South Bend, Indiana. I don't think that's the way it works for Brent Venables, because if you commit to him, he's going to commit to you, and if you're not committed to him, then he's got to find other 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 bodies to fill that roster. Oklahoma's recruiting class for 2023 currently stands at 20 commitments, number eight nationally. Um, still going to push the door of the top five, I believe and uh, we'll see what happens from there. But we got a football game to talk about. Oklahoma at West Virginia Sooners looking for win number six on the year to become bowl eligible. We'll start right with that. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, here we go. Oklahoma, West Virginia, 11 a.m. Saturday morning. The Sooners, uh, according to the matchup predictor on ESPN.com, are 58.5% chance of winning this game. Oklahoma is an eight-point favorite there's a question mark right there Uh, over under 68. Obviously we'll have some predictions here uh, at the end of the podcast, but here's the thing. Oklahoma looking five and four in the season. Um, Obviously six and four looks way better than five and four does. Uh, And Oklahoma, you know, they're, they're teetering three games left, three winnable games, particularly if Spencer standards remains out for Oklahoma state. And that's, A situation that on the onset doesn't look real promising uh, for the Cowboys, but man, you just you can't undervalue bowl eligibility. And I know Oklahoma's got a streak going twenty-three years, you know, going back to nineteen ninety-nine when they went to the Independence Bowl, lost to Deuce McAllister and Ole Miss. They've been bowl eligible every year, and and so you can say that, right? You want to be able to say that. You want that streak to continue. I get it, but you, this is this is where bowl eligibility really benefits Oklahoma. It's in the implementation of these of the offense and the defense. Now, obviously, what Jeff Lebby is doing is light years ahead of where Brent Venables and Ted Roof are, because I think Lebby's able to do more things with his talent base than what the defensive side of the ball can do. I think at this point of the season, you know, you're nine games into the season and you still got guys lining up in the wrong spot, looking over, getting lost in coverage, blowing assignments, getting moved out of the way. I think it's safe to say at this point, defensively, Oklahoma doesn't have the guys that they need to run the schemes that they want to run. And so you got really, if you're you're Brent Vittables, you have two choices. You can take it on the chin this year to get guys more adapt and ready for year number 2 or you can regress and go back and try to like implement it even more slow and go back with what they're they're quote used to under the previous regime. And why number 2 may yield one or two more wins on the season, it's not going to help you long term. What helps you long term is just to have that tunnel vision and that mindset to move forward. Guys, here's what we're gonna do. And here's how we as a coaching staff are gonna learn what you as player personnel are able to do, or whether we need to replace you or move you. And and I mean, you got I know the 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 result as of right now, five and four in the season, is a little bit painful to watch. But you got to think if if you're a person who has faith in Brent Venables, if you're a person who has faith in this coaching staff, then what you you got to think is at some point it's going to pay dividends. Now, probably not this season. Now they they got three regular season games and hopefully a bowl, and and we'll see if progress can be made. But at the end of the day, you're sacrificing what's left this season for what you could be in 2023 and 2024 as you get more guys either adapt to what you want out of this defense schematically, or you get them replaced through the transfer portal through, through recruiting and so forth to find guys who are able to do what you want them to do. And that that's where the bowl eligibility really becomes a huge, huge part of what Brent Venables wants to do. Not because they're going to go to the Cheez It Bowl or wherever the Armed Forces Bowl or the Fort Worth Bowl, whatever whatever lower tier bowl they're going to go to. Now, I mean, I think you have to go back. Let me think here. Right. So was it 2009 that they went to New Mexico? Was that was that 09? Right. I think this probably will be the lowest bowl that Oklahoma has been to since the sun bowl. I think that was in New Mexico, wasn't it? Or was it in El Paso? Now that I think about it, I think it's in El Paso, whatever. I mean, it's just Oklahoma fans aren't used to this stuff. I mean, it was the Alamo bowl. Oh no, we're going to the Alamo bowl. Um, it's usually, you know, BCS and then college football playoff. And then one of those top tier bowls, this is uncharted territory for a lot of Oklahoma fans. But I, I think it pays dividends, and those—it's—it's it's not about the bowl game, it's not about the destination, it's not about the opponent. What it's about is those extra practices that they get leading up to it, because that's almost like another spring practice. There, I mean, if you think about the schematics and the game planning, all right, you see, so you're gonna, you're gonna have about a three to four weeks between that, the end of that Texas Tech game and the kickoff of your bowl game, you're going to have somewhere between three and four weeks depending on which bowl you end up going to. You're going to spend one of those, let's say it's four weeks, okay? Three and a half, four weeks? You're going to spend one of those three and a half to four weeks scheming for your opponent. And then you're going to spend the other two and a half to three and a half weeks You're going to spend that time implementing your defense, getting younger guys opportunity to go out and show it that they've, they've caught up. Everyone wants to talk about Jaron Koenig. All right. I'm, I'm with you. I want to see more of him, but it's very clear schematically that he doesn't know what he's doing. Physically. He passes the eye test. He's got the speed. He's got the drive. He's got the, the the strength. But schematically, you watch him on film. Why is he always cha- tackling the ball carrier from behind? Because he's out of position, and he's got to make up the ground. And you get to think about guys like Jordan Mukes and and all these other guys who really haven't had the opportunity to get out there and display what they can do. Well, now you get bowl practice, a bowl game, and then spring practice. So you have two sets of practices to keep implementing this defense. Two sets of practices, if you're Jeff Lebby, that to work on some things offensively before you get into your next fall camp. And if you're not bowl eligible, you only get spring practice. So you, there's a huge advantage, a massive advantage. To becoming eligible. And I, and I know, especially after the Texas game, there were a lot of people going, man, this, this team's not going to win another game this year. I was never on board with that. If you if you do go, but you don't have to go back very far because we weren't able to record for like two weeks, two and a half weeks. So you go back and listen to the podcast after the Texas game. I was like, look, here's your wins, okay? You got to get you know three wins. Here, here's where you're going to get them. And West Virginia is probably the best opportunity Oklahoma State without Spencer Sanders, another great opportunity. That trip to Lubbock still scares me. The trips to Lubbock always scare me. But I don't think it's going to be easy on Saturday. I mean, these trips to Morgantown really aren't ever easy. When I mean, when you look at this, I mean, you compare these two teams. Yes, West Virginia is 1-5 in Big 12 play. But that's only one less win than what Oklahoma has. They're 3-6 and on the season. So that's two less wins. But when you look at the splits, for example, Oklahoma's 33.2 points per game scored. West Virginia's 32.1. Oklahoma, 29.8 is what they're allowing defensively. West Virginia, 34.2. So there are clear advantages for Oklahoma. But then, you, when you when you think that this is a a team that's playing on the road in Morgantown, some of those advantages disappear just because it's, you're going on the road. The Sooners have only won one game away from Norman this year. Well, that was two weeks ago against Iowa State. Now Iowa State, you you can't draw from that because Iowa State was a lot better defensively than what I think Oklahoma is going to face with West Virginia on Saturday. But they're they're behind the Mountaineers offensively, so you're going to flip that. Where really it was strength on strength for Oklahoma, right? So you got you got Iowa State strong defensively, Oklahoma State strong offensively. That those are the strength on strength. You don't really have that with this. West Virginia is not great defensively, but neither is Oklahoma. So this this could turn into being one of those scorefest type games, and you got to you you got to question yourself af- after West Virginia loses to Iowa State last week. How much momentum does this team have left? Because they're they're behind the eight ball is what we say in this situation. Because they're three and six, three games left on the season, they've got to run the table to go to a bowl game. And I do know I'm aware you can. And in, in today's world, you can you can get to a bowl game with five wins. But that standard has always been six. And even though you can get in with five, I mean, forgive me for this, but is West Virginia the logo that can get in with five? Are they going to have that fan base that's going to travel for a five-win team? I mean, what, what the Mountaineers need, they need six wins. And their best case scenario at this point, best case scenario is six and six. When you look at Oklahoma, best case scenario is eight and four. I mean, that's a, that's, that, that is a world of difference right there. So, you, we, with West Virginia, one or two things are going to happen. They're either done after Iowa State last week, realizing what the challenge that they have in front of them, and just thinking, you know what, guys, this, this isn't going to happen. Because they got Oklahoma, they got Kansas State, and they're on the road at Oklahoma State to end the season. And, I mean, they can do one or two things. They they can come out, like I said, guns blazing, so to speak, backs against the wall, just ready to fight. Or, or it could be over. They could just be like, all right, whatever. And I don't know. We're not going to know that until kickoff. We're not going to know the mindset how much this team has left in the tank until kickoff. What we do know is that Oklahoma is 9-0 against this team since they joined the Big 12. And I don't know if that weighs in on their psyche or not. But I got some offensive and defensive keys, some things we're going to talk about, uh, score prediction, the Big 12 rundown, all that's coming up. This is the Sooner Nation podcast. Obviously, there's no true or false questions this week because I've been gone. I, you guys haven't sent them because I haven't asked for them. But we're coming back with that. Um, I want to throw that out there after the game on Saturday. That's 11 a.m. kickoff. So you have all day to think about your true or false questions in regards to what happens on the field on Saturday and where this team looks like it's heading in the future. So make sure make sure you get, get that out to us. All right. Offensively, I, I think there's three keys that – Three keys to success for Oklahoma offensively, and some of these are captain obvious, and, and you've heard us saying before, and they just haven't changed. And that is you got to start with running the ball. You got a running back in Eric Gray who's averaging 6.4 yards per carry. Statistically, when you're looking at the top running back in the Big 12, it's not in Austin, Texas, it's in Norman, Oklahoma. And yes, I understand, calm down, Longhorn fan, calm down. I understand B. John Robinson is a. First round draft pick. I get that, okay? I'm just talking statistically. What's happening? It's not my fault Sarkeesian doesn't know how to use Bijan, okay? He sold it so to the to the passing gods in Austin, Texas, and now he's neglecting his cash cow, so to speak. But Oklahoma, that's a top top running back in the Big Twelve statistically, top rushing offense in the Big Twelve. You got to use that. I mean if you're if you're Jeff Lebby, you don't change your, what you're doing. You're you're running to set up the pass. Oklahoma's averaging 220. Can we round up 219.8 yards, 220 yards per game on the ground. Last week against Baylor, which by the way is a better defense than what West Virginia has, 238 yards on the ground against Baylor. There's no reason why Oklahoma shouldn't be able to run the ball with consistency. Particularly against West Virginia. You know, in each of the last three games in Morgantown, Oklahoma's run for over three hundred yards in each of those three games. And I think if you're building your offensive schematic right here, this is where you start. You start by running the football. Get creative if you have to. Just run up and smash them if you have to, but you gotta run the football. And I I don't think I have I've have zero concern that Jeff Lebby doesn't understand this and isn't planning on doing so. Where the concern begins for me is in step number two, which is protect the ball. Because you got a quarterback in Dylan Gabriel who has been exceptional all season long in ball protection, and then just gives the ball away three times in the first half last week against Baylor. And when you lose 38 to 35, there's again, I I have been a defender. Okay, I, I get it. I've been a Dylan Gabriel defender, and the overall body work is still pretty good. Got 2,000 passing yards, 16 touchdowns, four interceptions. But three of those interceptions came last week in a game in which you lost by just a field goal. This is typically a high-scoring affair in Morgantown. Oklahoma has averaged uh, 53 points a game when they play West Virginia in Morgantown. So you don't want to take the ball out of your hands when you have a history of offensive success in this stadium against this team. But the flip side of that is, we've already talked about the fact that this team, they can move the ball. They can score. Don't give them extra opportunities. Those turnovers were momentum and game killers last week. It can't happen. It it just can't happen in Morgantown. And that's my biggest concern as this game approaches. Can I'm not concerned whether they can run the ball. I would even say if West Virginia has some success early in this game at defending the run, still not concerned about it. I think in time, they will get it worked out. They'll figure it out. And they'll, they'll make it happen. But I am, I do, my my concerns are what's going to happen with the football in terms of can Oklahoma protect the ball, be efficient with it. Speaking of efficiency, of efficiency, that brings me to point number three, the third key to success for Oklahoma, stay efficient in the red zone. Oklahoma's been really good in the red zone this year. They've, been, they've had 33 trips into the red zone, 29 have resulted in points. You got 24 touchdowns. You got five field goals. Protect that. Stay with that average. Be creative if you have to. You look at the fake field goal against Iowa State. If you got to do that to be creative, then do it. But you got to remain efficient in in the red zone. So there you have it. Run the ball. Protect the football. Stay efficient in the red zone. I think the player you have to watch here, offensively if you're Oklahoma, is you got to watch Dylan Gabriel for the reasons that I just mentioned. The three turnovers last week. How does he rebound from that? 64.3% completion on the year, 16 touchdowns, four interceptions. Is he going to be apprehensive to release the ball? That's the question. That's really what you're looking for here. Because I do think, as I said, if you're Jeff Lebby, you're building this offensive game plan around Eric Gray and Oklahoma's rushing attack. That's where you start. But the same can be true about the West Virginia defense. That's where they start. They start by building their defensive game plan by looking at Eric Gray and how they can fill gaps, how they can contain on the edges and stop this running game. What that means is one-on-one opportunities should pop up for the Sooners downfield. Will Dylan Gabriel pull the trigger? And if he does, what's that going to look like? Because he has not been that model of accuracy on the road that he really has been at home this year. Now he got better at Iowa state, but there was a lot of times against Iowa state. He didn't take the shot that we really wanted him to. He checked down or he threw it away. Or he scrambled. I, the, Dylan Gabriel's. What, what he looks like in a rebound game. Is going to tell the difference. In terms of whether this is a squeaker. Like it was in Ames late into the game. Or whether Oklahoma can really just. Kind of go toe to toe. And win a shootout. Dylan Gabriel is going to be the guy that tells the difference there. I think defensively, the key is get even more simple. I I think defensively, you win first down. What you're seeing happen, and I hate to say this, but it's just, just, I mean, we're, we're we're nine games into this season. This is a very soft Oklahoma defense. It's not what we want. It's not what Brent Venables wants. I don't even think it's what they want. They don't know how to not be soft. And what you're seeing happen is you're seeing guys get moved out of the way. Just moved out of the way. Hey, we're going to take the ball, and we're going to go right there. So we're going to take you, Mr. Defensive Tackle. We're going to take you, Mr. Outside Linebacker. We're going to take you, Mr. Defensive End. And we're just going to move you where you're no longer in position to make the tackle. And those guys don't know how to respond. Kansas State exposed this. And then TCU... Texas, and Baylor took massive advantage of it. Kansas, Iowa State, they weren't able to take advantage of it. Now the question is, can West Virginia? And I think if you're looking for Oklahoma and you're looking for a way to fight this, is you got to win on first down. Whether you run blitz, whether you, you, you zone some things up to confuse JT Daniels, You win first down, you put him behind the chains, it becomes much more difficult just to go out and move guys when you're behind the chains. Because it's a little more obvious what you're going to do or what you need to do. So with with his defense, I think it begins by winning first down. If you're giving up four yards on first down, you're just going to get moved on second down. But if you hold them to a yard, you get them on negative, um, negative yardage on first down, man, you, you're, you're better off with what you want to do defensively than what they are with what they want to do offensively. So you start by winning first down, and then number two kind of goes into number one. You make plays behind the line of scrimmage. Oklahoma is tied for number eight nationally with 68 tackles for loss this year. You, you want this team to be behind the chains. You want him to be behind the chains because if you if you do that, if you win on first down, if you put him behind the chains with tackles for loss, then the third thing, it becomes just a little bit more easier. And that's just to be assignment sound. Know, know where you're supposed to be. Know your zone. Know your area. Know your release point if you're a defensive back. Know where your teammate is releasing. If he's got the lower third, you've got the outer third, whatever. He's releasing him to you. If you're a safety, you got to have him. You Can't have guys open wide down the field. I, and, and I think the worst we saw for that was the TCU game. But think about this. Now, granted, Iowa State's a good defense. Okay, I don't, I don't want to come across as if they're not something that, I mean, they're a, they're a bad team. They, they proved last week they're not the worst team in the Big 12. By the way, that's something else. Oklahoma's got going for it, okay? You don't want to be the bottom third of the Big 12. The bottom third of the Big 12 is almost locked up. You, you know you've got West Virginia there, who I believe is the worst team in the Big 12. You've got Iowa State down there somewhere. With all the injury problems that they're having, Oklahoma State could end up down there. Kansas is still not out of that woods yet. If you're Oklahoma, you don't want to be in that territory. You've got to win this game you got to win it. But all that said, Iowa State, bad team, pretty salty on, on defense. They held JT Daniels to just eight pass completions last week. Eight. Not eight on first downs. Eight total. He completed eight total passes for the entire game last week. Eight of 22. Now, again, I, I would take Iowa State defense over the Oklahoma defense pretty much any Saturday. But the point I'm making is if you can be assignment sound, if you can win on first down, you can put them behind the chains, you can make some noise if you just function mildly in the right way. Just be adequate. Don't be great. Be adequate. And if Oklahoma can follow those keys offensively, If they can be adequate defensively, you come out of here with win number six. It really is that simple. Let's go through the Big 12 rundown real fast. And then, man, I feel kind of lonely without you guys participating with the true or false questions. But we'll get that rolling again on, uh, on Sunday night. All right, championship November. I mean, isn't it crazy as an Oklahoma fan that, It doesn't matter if they run the table now, (laughs) you know, you win the next three, you're not in the big 12 championship. I mean, second year in a row, Oklahoma won't be there. Championship November just kind of doesn't have the same ring to it, but there is a full slate of games in the big 12. As we start the final countdown of the final three weeks of the season, it just came and went too fast. If you ask me, um, Oklahoma West Virginia FS one that's the early game. I'm going to give you a score prediction on that one here in just a minute. But uh, early the second game uh, early in the afternoon two thirty kickoff Iowa State at Oklahoma State. How about this? The Cyclones are actually a one point favorite over the Cowboys in Stillwater. Um, that is how far this ship has sank for Oklahoma State, and I, I think this will be a, a tight game. I think it's going to be a, a, a this it's gonna be a good game, but I just I don't know that Iowa State and I, I I know Oklahoma State has its set of problems offensively. I get it, but I I think there's more weapons for Oklahoma State than there is for Iowa State. I think it's a close game. I think it's a tight game throughout, but I think a late score, maybe a special teams play, something pushes Oklahoma State over the edge, and they squeak out like a one to three point win over the Cyclones to snap their streak. Um, so I guess what I'm saying Oklahoma state's a one point underdog. I would take Oklahoma state to win this game straight up 40 and a half. I, and I know the offenses are struggling. That seems really low to me. So I, I, I would take Oklahoma state. And I think I would take the over on this game, six o'clock kickoff FS one. This is going to follow, uh, follow maybe the third game. I guess it'll be the third game on FS one um, for the weekend, but Kansas state at Baylor, and this is going to be an elimination game. You got two teams that are six and three on the season, four and two in big 12 play. The loser of this game is going to be out of the big 12 championship race. The winner kind of stays in there and keeps fighting. I, I think that was going to be Baylor. Um, Baylor comes in as a two and a half point favorite. I would take that. I would take them to cover uh, the over under is 51 and a half, And I think I would take the over there. Um, so give me Baylor here to not only to win, but to cover two and a half. I think that's pretty easy. Uh, and then you got the over 51 and a half. other six o'clock game, Kansas at Texas tech, the Jayhawks going out to Lubbock. And and again, there's two games, really three games um, that I think are going to be so, so, so tight. They'll go deep into the fourth quarter. Uh, this is the second one. Uh, I think Kansas squeaks out a win here. And and here's the reason why. You, you've got quarterback issues, injury issues on both sides. I, I think I would, I'd like, even if it is the backup for Kansas, Jason Bean, I like his experience over anybody that Texas Tech has right now. So, you got Kansas who becomes bowl eligible last week with their win against Oklahoma state. Now they go into Lubbock, Texas to try to go to seven wins on the season. I think they do it. And I think just like Oklahoma state, Iowa state, I think it's a one to three point win for whoever comes out of this game. For me, it's the Jayhawks over under on this game 64. And I think that's spot on. I I, I don't know that I would play the over under on this game. I think I like Texas techs a three and a half point favorite. I, I like Kansas with the three and a half points that they're getting here. Um, But the over-under scares me. If I had to pick it, I would go over, but it won't be by much, in my opinion. So here's your game of the week in the Big 12. Number four, TCU at number 18, Texas. And here's my upset alert. I think Texas Texas stays in the Big 12 championship hunt. Again, this is an elimination game for the Longhorns. If they lose, they're out of the Big 12 championship race. Because you're going to have Baylor or Kansas State sitting there with two um, two losses in conference, uh, they're kind of in the driver's seat at that point. Because Texas would drop to three losses. I don't think that happens. I, I think I think TCU they've been uh, they've been winning. Uh, they've been hurting quarterbacks, and and again, I, I'm not going down that conspiracy theory avenue of them intentionally targeting quarterbacks. I think TCU plays physical football. I think they, they make a premium on, on uh, they put a premium on making contact with quarterbacks. I don't think they are maliciously hurting quarterbacks. Now, that said, I'm 100% on board with the, the, the shot that knocked Dylan Gabriel out. That was a cheap shot. But I don't know that I can jump on board with saying that's, that's what's being coached. I think what's being coached is you, you, you make contact. You make contact with the quarterback. The quarterbacks are different animals when they're getting knocked around. They don't perform as well, and TCU knows that, and they've got the the speed and the strength to get back there and make plays. But the Frogs sit at number four right now. Every week we see some sort of upset, it seems like, for like the last three weeks. I think number four loses this week. I think Texas wins this game. Now, I will be cheering to be wrong on this because I'm – I, I can't get on board with cheering for Texas, but, and the the truth is this, what well, you, you don't want TCU in the playoffs. I get it. But if TCU loses this game, they're still pretty much guaranteed to get to Arlington for the big 12 championship. But I think they do lose. And I think they lose by a field goal, which means that they would cover their seven point underdogs. I, I don't think Texas has earned the right to be a seven point favorite over a top four team. I say that as I'm also picking the Longhorns to upset a top-four team. Over-under on this game is 65. Give me the over on that. That leads us to uh, Oklahoma-West Virginia. First game of the day. Fox Sports won 11 a.m. kickoff. Oklahoma an eight-point favorite. Um, I said it about Texas, so I got to say it about Oklahoma. I don't think they deserve to be an eight-point favorite. And as I say that, I'm having a little bit of buyer's remorse here. I'm going to back up for just one second. I think I would take the under on TCU in Texas. I've thought about that for a minute. I like TCU to cover the seven, but I think 65. Give me the under there. Now let's go to Oklahoma and West Virginia. Um, I've got Oklahoma winning. I got West Virginia covering. And I think that's kind of been the M.O. this season for these teams. Over-unders at 68. I think, again, I'm going to go under here. Give me Oklahoma to win this game by a final score of, let's go 35. You're going to love this. Let, no, let's go 34-31. 34-31 Oklahoma uh, by a field goal. Gets out of Morgantown with the sixth win of the season to become bowl-eligible you heard it here first. Hey, we'll be back uh, Sunday, Monday with the podcast to follow up with this. Make sure you participate. Hit us up with your true or false statements. Uh, get us just on Twitter at Sports Heartland. Email heartland underscore sports at yahoo.com. Find us on the internet, heartland-sports.com. Enjoy your football weekend. They're gonna. It's going to be over before you know it. And, uh, you know, softball doesn't start till February. I'm giving that nugget of information just in case basketball can't get things moving in the right direction. Have a great weekend, everybody. Boomer Sooner.